You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. My name is Ahanu and I want to welcome you to this session, the 46th session of the Akashic Records. Our seasoned participants will know from where these sessions originated, but for our newcomers, it's important to give you a tiny bit of background and an explanation as to what to expect. And firstly, you should know that throughout these sessions, Angel Rose is not in a trance and neither is she channeling through any spiritual or psychic entity, spirit, angel or ascended master. She is downstepping this information and knowledge directly from source. We always try to answer as many questions as we can in these sessions. But if time is not on our side, and recently we have found that we have overflowing questions from one session to another, we will roll them over and ask them in the free open forum sessions on the first Sunday of every month. And to be invited to attend, simply register online at worldofempowerment.com. You may not be aware, but many of the answers to these questions became the basis for Angel Rose's first book in the 10-book Honest to God series called At Time of Change, which is available from atimeofchange.info. And her second book, called The Nature of Reality, can be ordered from thenatureofreality.info or from amazon.com and from where good books are sold. And furthermore, each week, these Summaries, which we call profundities, are lovingly prepared and rendered onto the World of Empowerment website, allowing members from around the world to benefit from sources, words and guidance. And to date, we have collected thousands of hours of audio and transcripts from these sessions, and they're all available in the archives at worldofempowerment.com forward slash archives. Finally, we ask that once we close today, please do go to the World of Empowerment website and leave your comments about the session and about your experiences. That's the end of the formal introductions. I'd like now to welcome our very own beloved, Angel Rose. Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's doing well today. So I'm going to go ahead and say the prayer All right, there's a beautiful white light in the room today, beautiful big sphere of white light with some lovely blue within it. So this is the definitely feeling of Source's presence here today. Go ahead, Ahana. Okay, our first question today. Is the spirit world, as seen after death, divided into frequency levels? Okay, well, what Source is saying to me is that they are literally worlds within themselves. In other words, so the answer could be yes, different frequencies, but Source doesn't want us to leave it in such a generic or scientific way with the word frequencies. All life is made up of frequencies. However, the spirit world is exactly that. It is composed of different worlds. And those worlds are created by consciousness, different levels of consciousness, different levels of the beings who inhabit them, different levels of awareness, different levels of desire. So when we've heard that term, in my father's house there are many mansions, 
It means literally that. It's many creations, and those creations come from the consciousnesses and the collective consciousness of the spirits who inhabit those places. So yes, there's many worlds, and we don't want you to think of it in terms of levels and like stairs, where there's one level and then there's a higher level. It's more multifaceted than that. It's more whole than that, more rounder than that. If you could imagine, you know, you may have heard people say that even in the reality that we're in now, that there are many intersecting realities and dimensions and they all occur at the same time just vibrating at different as you say frequency levels but they are each dimensions and worlds and among themselves and you wouldn't necessarily think of them as one being on top of the other and on up it's more everywhere so source wants us to think of the planes of existence after death is is worlds that are functioning in all different places at the same time, perhaps separated by vibration in the consciousness of those inhabiting it. But they are full-functioning worlds. Okay, our next question is about love, and isn't that appropriate coming up to Valentine's Day? And the question is, is love a cumulative or are there degrees of love? Is love accumulative? Well, that's kind of an interesting word to put there, isn't it? Accumulative. Okay, so just a moment. What was the last part of it, Ahana? Are there degrees of love? Degrees of love, okay. We'll address the degrees of love first, because um, it's a simple answer, actually. Yes, there are degrees of love based on the consciousness of who's expressing the love or feeling the love. So love does have a lot to do with your state of awareness, what you perceive it is, how much of it you can receive or give. In that way, there's different degrees of love. Okay, so is love accumulative? You know, I don't really know what the person means by that. You know, are they talking about through different lifetimes? Do you accumulate more love by what you do or don't do? But I still think probably it's the same answer that it's an awareness. Instead of saying love is accumulative, I mean, okay, if you want to talk about the level of karma, I suppose we could say that anything anybody does that's loving or benign, I always call it, you put it in your karmic bank especially when you do things without asking for anything in return, that energy does build up for you, and it, it accumulates in that way. But in terms of the realization of love, that has everything to do with where you are on your own individual soul path. There's greater and greater and greater awarenesses of love that you achieve as you grow spiritually becomes more expanded, becomes more all-encompassing, and applies to the whole as opposed to particular individuals. So that part does change. But the first part of the question, is love accumulative? I'm going to put it into the category of expressions of love and how you express love or when you do express love. 
all of those good deeds or expressions do accumulate and become an energy that you have available. Good energy, which yields good effects. So that part can be accumulative. You know, going back to that Sound Sound of Music song, you know, where Maria and, and the captain are in the gazebo and they're falling in love and she's singing the song how she must have done something good, you know, to deserve him, basically. That's a good song for what we're trying to say. Somewhere, sometime, I must have done something good. That's very interesting. Now, our next question, Angie Rose, is learning through adversity grist for the soul? And, you know, it's interesting that it should follow on after that question about love, because when you say that love is accumulative in that way and has expressions that can become a positive kind of a karmic return over time, is learning through adversity and through pain, is that grist for the soul? Does that actually help us or hinder us? Well, it depends what you do with it, first of all. Okay, so let me ask, source, those sorts of experiences, depending on what you do with them, you see, we have to remember that soul growth is about choice. It's about how you respond. It's not that you'll get to a place where all of a sudden you never experience any sort of difficulty, although that does lessen, absolutely, with time. Going back to the previous question, when you do accumulate more good than, let's say, bad choices or choices that aren't the highest, when you have a percentage where there's more good than the other, your life will get easier. You'll notice more synchronicities. Things will flow better. You will see the evidence of that, but you may still encounter difficulty or suffering. I'm bringing this up because we don't want people to think that that means that they still haven't evolved. I think people have an idea that when you evolve spiritually, everything is always hunky-dory. That's not the case. Because the real test, we all get tested through different challenges. In fact, the soul sets up challenges in this dimension, let me clarify, precisely to see what we will do in given circumstances. What do we do with what we're given? Now, the ultimate goal is love and compassion. So how you respond to a situation determines whether you achieve soul victories or whether you regress, depending on your choice. So it can be grist for the soul in terms of helping a person achieve victories or choose higher virtues in given situations. So those things can definitely cause a lot of soul growth. Okay, now there will come a point in your evolution when you become extremely harmless within and extremely loving where you won't need to be tested in such such ways that, that will lessen off. It really is about choice in this dimension. Everything's about what you choose how you decide to respond, what you do with what you're given. 
There's always a way out of everything. There's always a solution that is a higher solution. And the more we can surrender to that truth, the better we'll be able to deal with things in our lives. Our next question. And this one has been driven by responses that we have received from the Akashic Records over time about grace. What exactly is grace as it is being used by responses from source? All right, I will answer that, but I do want to go back to the previous question just for a moment because source just mentioned that as long as we perceive ourselves as victims in this dimension, with whatever we experience on whatever level, and we stay in that victim frame of mind where we perceive that things outside ourselves are causing us pain or difficulty and that we have nothing to do with it, that we won't grow spiritually. Because we can't be aware that we are creators of things in our lives may want to use the phrase co-creators, but we do have a hand in everything we experience. So it's wise when you're going through difficulty to sit down and ask yourself, what does this have to do with you? What is a learning that you could be getting out of this? Or why would you have set this up? For what particular reason? So I just had to add that piece onto it because there's a danger there for the world, especially the condition that it's in today, to fall into that victim place and think that we have nothing to do with this. Somehow we're outside of all of this stuff. Okay? All right, so grace. You want to know about grace. What Source is saying me is, first of all, I get this image of this pure, sparkly, effervescent, iridescent white light that is concentrated. It's a concentrated form of white light, which are basically just free blessings from source. And when I say free, I mean that source's love offers everything for free. Grace is energy that's donated, blessings that are donated, a particular type of Christ love that is given to you just because you exist. It's given to everybody, regardless of who they are. Grace will be bestowed that will cause miraculous events to happen in your life, that will cause synchronicities, that will cause healing. And once again, everyone deserves it. It It's something that is given freely by Source. It's almost like a dose of Source's love that has no requirement but powerful, concentrated love and energy that has potential to shift, alter, change, heal, and is given freely. There's a line in The Course of Miracles that says, By grace I live, by grace I am released. And it's a statement where if we were truly accepting of that, you know, it really is us accepting that Source offers us grace to live by, which basically frees us from all sorts of things. Super. Now, as we have discovered in the past, Angie Rose, a lot of times the questions that come into us 
in advance of a session like this, they tend to form around a couple of subjects. And the next few questions are all around the area of sacred geometry, interestingly enough. And the first question is, is nature based on sacred geometry? Well, sources saying the whole universe is based on geometry, basically. Okay, just give me a minute because it's kind of coming in. Well, it isn't just nature. The geometries that appear in different realities might be slightly different in terms of their ratios, in terms of their shapes, how they come together. All of that is determined by, let's say, a location, place. In other words, the sacred geometries that are in nature here, the way they come together, might not be the same in another system. But basically the universe is built upon geometries, and those are, if we go back to the origin of creation, the thoughts of God, the mind of God, thoughts themselves create shapes and dimensions and ratios from the highest to the lowest, you have geometric shapes forming themselves based on the conditions. Okay, so is nature formed out? Yes, nature's formed off of sacred geometry in this dimension, but the whole universe is formed at angles and shapes and geometrical patterns. And bringing that down to our 3D world as we know it, are the government buildings are indeed cathedrals and churches modelled after sacred geometry principles? Well, yes, they are. And this is a good example of the difference between the types of geometry that would be in those places. And that has to do with the purpose of the designers. Okay, so somebody who's really adept at sacred geometry, who is being hired to build something, the person wanting the building, at least a lot in ancient times, would be aware of geometry and they would be asking for a particular pattern to be established. Okay, so those buildings, in Yale, especially the old ones, I don't know about the new ones, but the old ones are definitely based on sacred geometry. Okay. What is the impact for humanity from living in buildings that are designed around sacred geometry principles, as opposed to those people who live in buildings that are not designed around sacred geometry principles. Like the one we're in, for example. (laughs) Not being based on a normal townhouse. Okay. Mm. All right. So it depends, again, on the geometry. Now, those that are, here's the thing, those that are aligned with nature, aligned with the way the nature in this dimension works, will have a a feeling of harmony within them. They will have a feeling of, there's a zero-point energy that occurs in those structures, sweet spots, if you will, okay, where everything comes into resonance or harmony, and that would be in harmony with your body because at this point, our bodies are modeled off of the Fibonacci spiral, the golden mean, because that's the geometry, the main geometry in this dimension right now, and our bodies are modeled after it. Okay, so if you're in a home, 
that's designed that way as well, you're going to feel a lot more peace, a lot more flow, your health will be better because that's how it's designed. So it will make a huge difference. Absolutely. And following on from that, we have a question about Feng Shui. The question is, does Feng Shui work, first of all? And if so, how does it work? Again, it's an art form is what Source is saying first. Okay, and it was made as a way to work with nature, work with, again, angles and rooms and shapes and all of that to produce a particular harmonic resonance. So, yes, it does work. It does work, absolutely. It's another method that is designed to produce harmony by working with nature. Simple answer is yes. Yes, it does work. A lot of it, people might be doing natural feng shui in their homes without realizing they're doing it. You know, when you put a piece of furniture somewhere or you hang a picture and it just doesn't feel right. And you're like, well, I don't know what it is about it, but it doesn't feel right. And then you find yourself moving it. Or you might naturally put light somewhere or a crystal somewhere. And then all of a sudden the room feels very different and peaceful. All of that is forms of feng shui that we do naturally all the time. The same thing with the color of the walls that we paint. They either produce a sense of well-being and harmony or upliftment or they, you know, they feel off. And this is a good thing to pay attention to because if you look around your own home and you notice how you feel in different rooms, you may have rooms you really like to be in, you have rooms that you don't like so much, and in the rooms that you don't like, you might want to go in there and say, what could I put in here that would make this room feel different? Or could I paint the walls or one wall? Or, you know, just start asking and play with your own intuition in terms of that type of feng shui. So it does make a difference. Mm. It's the same thing when you go into buildings or you go, when you walk into a cathedral, most people will feel a sense of peace. Now, there are some churches that you wouldn't feel that in, but for the most part, the way the geometries are arranged in a church do make you have this sense of loftiness and peace. And that's because of the design of the place. But in your own home, in the places you choose to live, and the locations that you choose to live, you're either going to feel really good or you're not going to feel good. And the thing is, is to find what brings resonance or harmony to your environment where you live. And uh, we could get into the whole geopathic stress conversation. At some point we will, where the land that your house is built on or you're sitting on is either harmonious or disharmonious. So there's a lot to this, actually. But to answer the simple question, feng shui does work, but we all have our natural sense of feng shui within us as well. Mm-hmm. And Angel Rose, this question is not in the lineup, but it begs to be answered now. Does it follow then that somebody who is, let's say, a designer, like a home designer, what do you call them? Somebody who. Decorator? Who, an interior decorator? Interior designer, interior decorator. Does it follow that they then would have a greater sense of that harmony that you speak about, that they're able to create the environment that allows it to become more suitable? to have these sweet spots of peace that you mentioned? Well, they would certainly be taught all about 
where to put things in a room. They'd be taught about colors. They'd be taught about accent pieces. I don't know if they would be taught in the official feng shui. You know, they may. They may study that themselves. I don't know that it's incorporated in uh, a curriculum. It could be. But they certainly would, at the very least, have an awareness of flow and design and color. And again, accent pieces are so important in your home where you put things and what they are. Okay, the kind of energy that what they're made of, the things that they're made of, and where you place them. All of that makes a complete difference. Mm-hmm. So they may or may not be actually officially trained in feng shui, but they would have a good sense of color and placement and flow. Right. And what about pyramids? In terms of what? In terms of the principles of sacred, sacred geometry. Okay. Let's see, the, what the pyramidal structure does is it creates that zero-point energy within it. So it's designed in a way to create a cavern, cavern of zero-point energy in the interior. And they used water. You know, water was really important in the creating of that. It's one of the reasons there are tunnels underneath that used to contain water. Because water is um, combined with the minerals of rocks and then the angles. All of that works together to create an energy field force field, if you will. But within the Great Pyramid, there are, you're in zero-point energy, so your access to hyperspace and all sorts of things is there within it. Okay, but that's really predominantly why things don't decay as easily under a pyramid is because that centered cavern creates a sweet spot, you know, almost putting things in suspended animation where they're not subject to decay and the progression of time, let's say. So in a way, you could say the center of the pyramid, when I mention zero point, it puts uh, whatever in there in an ageless, out-of-time place. I call it suspended animation because it literally halts the linear progression and allows things to just be without being played upon by time. Okay, our next question. Is the Fibonacci spiral a death spiral? All right, just a moment. We know what's interesting that what Source is calling it is a a cyclic spiral. Okay, (laughs) now I think that adds a new dimension to it because when we ask if the Fibonacci spiral is a death spiral, we're really asking, is it coded to death? to us dying, to everything dying. And is that geometry the reason we die? And on one level, the answer is yes. Source is calling it a cyclic spiral because it does run its course with whatever life form is in it, okay? Uh, It's finite in that way. In other words, it has a beginning and it has an end. All right, and then it starts all over somewhere else. You know, every life form has the same thing going on. It's a cyclic spiral in this dimension, for the life forms in this dimension. Is it the highest spiral? No. You know, there is an eternal life spiral that we can achieve in our current incarnation. But it does require, you know, meditation. It requires becoming an inner mystic where you're reversing 
this finite spiral inside your body. Okay, so right now, this dimension, because of all of our conditions and programmed beliefs and all of that, we're functioning under the Fibonacci spiral, which is perfect for the life forms in this dimension. And I say perfect, not in the sense that it's the highest, but it's perfect in its function for this planet, for it, the elements of this planet, for the consciousness of the beings in this planet. But it isn't the highest. When you go beyond dualistic thinking and you become an inner mystic, you reverse a lot of the laws that nature functions under here, that normal bodies function under, and many things can change. That's what alchemy really is, is tapping into another place that is eternal life. Yes, it is a death spiral in this dimension. It is what causes life forms here to pass away and age, but it can be overcome. Our next question, Angel Rose, it seems that you have already answered it just now, but nonetheless, you may have something else to add to it. It asks, what geometries are our bodies modeled after? But before you answer that question, Angel Rose, let us take a short little studio break. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Years of research, thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions, miles of transcripts, months of listening, a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you. Join worldofempowerment.com today, a members-only website of practical spirituality for your fast-changing world. worldofempowerment.com well, it's actually a good question, and it does bring added information. Because our core geometry is modeled after the Fibonacci spiral. However, we each have a whole set of other geometries within us based on our beliefs, our programming when we're young. So each one of us has different patterns. Some we inherit, some we come to and create ourselves through experiences and dogmas, and everybody's patterns create their own geometries. It's kind of like there's no one snowflake that's the same. Think of it that way, that even though the core structure of life is based on the Fibonacci spiral, once you come into Earth uh, at the state that it's in now, the state of nature, so your nature body, but along with that, you do create a lot of other geometries inside you, which makes us all a little bit unique. Okay, so when you do spiritual work, when you take on the the job of purification of patterns or you're resolving things, you literally do change the geometry of yourself on various levels. And it's why people heal, why they feel better, because they're they're shifting their geometry. They're moving it, okay? But until you overcome the unconscious death urge, you don't change the core design of your anatomy in that way. Now we all have a a Merkaba, which is a six-pointed star geometry around us, okay, that rotates. Some of it rotates clockwise, some of it rotates counterclockwise, and, and that holds your basic geometry in place 
But there's even ways to work with Merkaba where you you end up shifting the angles of that and uh, you drop certain parts. I mean, it's a big, long process. And some of it just occurs naturally as you grow spiritually that you're not aware of. Basically, our planet is based on a six-pointed star, Merkaba field. And that's because that particular geometry allows us to achieve Christ consciousness in our particular physical form. Okay, so we coded for the geometry of Christ consciousness in our light bodies. But for most of us, our Merkabas are not spinning. Some of them are not turned on at all. Some are not spinning correctly. And all of that, you know, comes from many causes. But we are coded to achieve that with our current physical bodies. Our next question, Engel Rose, do geometries phase lock us? Perhaps the question should be, do certain geometries phase lock us? And what do you mean by phase lock? Uh-huh. Well, I, I don't know. These questions come in from various participants, but let me try to perhaps put my understanding on it. Um, I know in the past people have said that they might have chakras, for example, that would be blocked. So is that a possible place where uh, the geometry of the chakra might be locked or perhaps caught in a time warp from some past event, perhaps. I got you. Okay. So read the question again then. So our... Do geometries phase lock us? Well, I'm going to use the word phase lock in terms of limit. Limit us, Okay. Certain geometries can phase lock us for a time. And, you know, for some reason, source is going to planetary phase lock. In other words, uh, what is acting upon a planet at any particular time can limit the evolution of the species. I'll compare it to um, the way we talk now about this particular time in history where we believe that different geometric light codes are coming in from the galaxies, from source, from the cosmos, that are unlocking particular geometries to allow for more DNA activation, for example. Another way to say that when your your DNA is freed. And in fact, that's our topic in two weeks, isn't it, Ahana? We're doing a topic-specific session on light codes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. So you may want to Tune into that, everybody. Okay, but uh, yes, we can be phase-locked. The answer to the question, conditions, certain conditions of the planet, of the cosmos, of evolution can lock us in where we it's very difficult to activate. But I do want to say that no matter what is happening, when you take on the role of becoming your own inner mystic, a lot of those things can change without the planet changing. So you do have the capability inside yourself, once again, to unlock yourself and switch on DNA strands and shift your geometries. But it requires your own personal commitment to your own inner growth. Hmm. Okay, but in general, in general, for the collective people who don't do that, they are limited by the conditions of their environment. And as we see now, many people waking up, it's because of new geometries coming in. 
that are shifting or waking up DNA strands. Okay. So let's just pop back to a previous question. And this is coming up for clarification with me, Angel Rose. When you talk about a geometry phase locking us, could that be a building too? So say, for example, somebody is living in a house and they, they really don't feel comfortable there, despite them moving furniture around or placing pictures around, but there may be something about the building or perhaps even the underground grid lines that they feel phase-locked, for want of another word, phase-locked. They feel blocked, let's say. Mm -hmm. So many people feel the urge to move, to move to an area that perhaps supports them better. Is that an example of a building blocking a person or phase-locking their geometries? Well, yes, all those things can affect a person. Okay, but I have to say, you know, previously in our conversation today, Source was saying that we're all met with challenges and that there's solutions to every problem. So there's many solutions. So one solution for that type of person could be to move. Seems to be the easiest if they're financially able. If they're able to get out and go someplace that resonates better with them, would be a good idea if they're aware of that. There are lots of toxic homes. There's lots of toxic land. There's histories. I mean, if you buy an older place or you move into a house where other people have lived before, depending on what, what happened there, you're affected by that still. Even when you buy new construction, you know, the materials that are used can affect people. All of these have an effect on us. But there are ways if somebody's sensitive, and there are people who just work with those sorts of blockages where they work on people's land. You live in a place like that and somebody could go out in your backyard and say, oh, well, you know, in this particular point you need a rock, this particular rock or you need this crystal or you need this plant. And they start planting things or moving things around that can change the whole dynamic of a place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a way it's more work to do it that way, to hire somebody to, who's sensitive to energies and can check your grid lines and see what's gone on historically, or you can move. But yeah, all of, all of these things affect us. Everything affects us, really. Okay. Our next question. Are sacred sites laid out in a sacred geometry pattern? Most definitely they are. Absolutely. Okay. Do crystals have a sacred geometry structure? And if so, is this what gives them their healing properties? Okay, well, the way Source is answering that is that it depends on the crystals. Everything on this dimension, every form, has a sacred geometry pattern. No exception. But not every crystal is a healing crystal. You know, there are crystals that are not necessarily benevolent to the human, but they're fantastic for the earth or the ocean or what's around them, okay? So all crystals have a structure, sacred geometry structure, and they're all built on that. And what Source is basically saying is that you could call all geometry sacred, really, in terms of its principle of the way patterns come into existence, and that whole process is quite quite an amazing thing. But the way things coalesce and the particular geometries they carry is different for every single thing. Now, 
This is why we wouldn't say, for example, that all quartz crystals are the same, or all rose quartz, or all pieces of labradorite, or whatever. We wouldn't give a generalization to rocks and stones, because every one of those is its own being, comes together in its own way, it has its own environment, like a crystal from Brazil might be really different than a crystal from America, even though you could say they're both quartz, if you really tuned into them. And maybe they're, where the commonality would be is their, maybe their core basic geometry in the way they're, they're built, just like the human being. Its core geometry might have the same pattern, but the rest of its geometry its personality, its environment would be very different. So I'm being careful to say that, you know, we can't assume that all rocks and quartzes and everything else are all going to have the same effect. Some have healing effects. Some have too much energy. People sometimes make the mistake of thinking if they pick up a crystal and they get this huge buzz off of it or they get a little woozy or they get pert put into an altered state, that somehow that's a fantastic healing crystal. But it might not necessarily be good for them. A lot of energy doesn't necessarily dictate a healing. It can actually destroy as well. So, you know, you got to get to know these things. You talk to them because they're all consciousness. The next question, Engel Rose, is about sacred geometry symbols. When using sacred geometry symbols for their efficacy... Is it important to have the measurements and angles in perfect symmetry or just the representation is good enough? Well, I think if you're going to be building something that's based on sacred geometry or it's a particular focus, that it is important to have the angles correct. Because Mm. even if something is off a few degrees, it's going to make a difference. What were they asking With the intention? Yeah. Is it important to have the measurements and angles in perfect symmetry, or is it just good enough to have the representation? No, they really need to be as close to perfect as they possibly can be. Because you are dealing with degrees of energy. And if you don't have the angles and everything right, the degrees of energy will be affected. I won't say that it's ineffective, but it just may not give you exactly the power that you're looking for. And that brings to mind actually a little story of uh, our experiences with pyramids. Do you remember, Angel Rose, at one point in time, way back in North Carolina, we had a good friend of ours that was building pyramids. He was building pyramids out of copper tubing and he was building them at various degrees. And that, of course, affected the height. And he wanted to know if I increased the angles in the pyramid, what effect would it have? And we discovered 45 degrees, 60 degrees, even 72 degrees, for example, had a huge difference in its effect on the people who sat in it, as well as in the environment. And in fact, one of them we found was very, very good for growing. And the trees in this person's yard just shot up. Remember, obscuring his view, actually. And he was blaming the pyramid for it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, our next question. Carnivoria is a herbal supplement that's supposed to be beneficial for good health. What does Source have to say about it? Carnivoria. 
Carnivore, yeah. Okay. Well, when I tune into the energy of it, I'm getting a blue, kind of a blue-purple spectrum. What I'm hearing is it would be good for some people and not good for others. It does have the ability to change things at a deep level in the human body. And it does have a deep healing capability. I feel like I'm deep in the cells and it's kind of going uh, deep into the cellular structure and cleansing it and reconnecting things that might have been damaged or broken inside the cell. Okay, so it is a very powerful herb. What we're seeing, though, is the in terms of the effect is how much a person takes. Okay, so the dosage for each person might be different. And some might only need very little to cause the change, and others might need more. So you need to experiment with it that way. It's a kind of thing, like anything, where too much... Too much of it wouldn't be good for a person, would actually cause disharmony in them, where for other people the same dose might be great. So you have to play with the dose. But it does have a very deep and penetrating healing effect in terms of rebuilding, cleansing, repairing. Okay? Okay. What can Source tell us about the rainbow body? Okay. So what Source is telling us is that First of all, reminding us that we're all composed of the rainbow. First of all, that our bodies are light and sound. So we have that contained within us. Speaking of geometries, it's the way those colors are arranged inside our bodies and the way they come together. Okay, so for the most of us, the colors are being distributed to feed our organs. They come in from the sunlight. The chakras break them down into color rays, and those rays go to feed the appropriate organs. That's the normal human. But really, Source is talking to us. It's the same as really our light body. Our light body in its its pure state. Right now, these colors are our rainbow bodies being used to keep our physical bodies going. Okay, but when you... you, Again, when you take on the job of becoming an inner mystic and you're devoting your life toward communion with Source, and there's many ways to do this, by the way, okay? They might call it different things in different cultures, but we're we're really talking about when you're no longer interested in having an ego related relationship with yourself in the world. When you're truly interested in communication with your God self and you take on that work, that ultimately as you grow towards that, you become more conscious and spiritually aware. And in fact, we can go back to our, our group on breatharianism, Ahana, where we talked about how a true breatharian, it's a consequence of particular states of consciousness that you achieve where you no longer become interested in food or bodily pleasures or things like that, okay? That the closer in communion you come with your God self, the less interested you are in mundane things. So as you grow in that and you become 
go to higher and higher and higher states of consciousness, eventually that rainbow body that you have no longer feeds the physical form or the ego self or the lower self. It starts to become its whole self and you go back to what you really are is really what happens. It's not a level of achievement per se. I mean, on one level it is because we're in time and we think of progress and uh, going someplace. But the truth is you're returning to your original state, which is a spirit. And it looks like a beautiful rainbow or a golden light. Okay, so you go back to yourself, capital S really, and you become that, which means you become light once again. Uh, you dissolve your physical body. It's just a natural consequence of that state where the body gets dissolved. It's almost like the energy doesn't get put toward those things anymore. It becomes itself. So this is when you hear stories of people dissolving into light. And we're not talking about spontaneous combustion. We're talking about returning to your natural, true, organic self as a being of light. You look like a rainbow. You become your own sun issue in. You radiate light over large areas. You're part of the all that is. So it's it's something that when you reach a particular state and you're no longer interested in maintaining a separate identity in terms of ego, and you've purified your base nature, the rainbow body and turning into light is a consequence, a natural consequence of that state of being. So you just want a world update real A world quick? update real quick, yes. Okay. What can we expect of the world? We can expect, well, like I've been seeing all along, more shifts in the earth, more water being distributed in different places. So it looks to me the bodies of water on the earth are going to change in a particular way. We still have some rocking and rolling to have happen in terms of climate and shifts in the earth. Still political unrest in places, although there does look like there might be more communication with main leaders of countries, but still it feels precarious to me in terms of their disagreements, you know, what they're willing to do, uh, different agendas they have going on, particularly with Russia. Russia, China, and the U.S. all feel like they still are not on par with one another. So we're going to be looking at tension still in those countries. So it's an interesting year. Because the earth is shifting and because things on the earth and plates are shifting, energies are shifting. So people are going to be experiencing a wide variety of different types of um, reactions. Some things will feel positive. Some things will feel overwhelming. You might notice aches and pains in your body and your body shifting and being out of sorts more often. Ultimately, this isn't a bad thing. It's just things changing and shifting. So you might have to make adjustments in your diet and what you eat. You might need more energy work or more massages or more rest. So if you can flow with these changes and nurture yourself, you'll get through it. And we are still seeing that it is good to have, I always say this, it's still coming up. You need a heat source in your home. 
that's not based on the power grid. Uh, you need something to cook with, so camper stove, propane. Uh, you need to have water purification things in your home, whether they're pellets that purify water or you've got some sort of independent something. Get some shungite stones and have those in your home to purify water. That's S-H-U-N-G-I-T-E. You can go to shungite.com and look up the water purification stuff. So good sources of water, clean water. I would keep extra food on hand and toilet paper and stuff and heat source, heat and light sources. These are standard. Now you don't need like three years worth like some people do. You need at least enough for three or four months, I'd say, at this stage. And that's not really to cause fear. It's just a fact. In fact, sources always said it's a good idea no matter if you, even if we weren't in climate changes, it's always a good idea. You know, the people of old used to do it, didn't they? They had the root cellars where they kept things. They stored things. It's just a good idea. Squirrels do it, don't they? They collect nuts and store Absolutely. them up for the winter. In fact, every farmer does it. They they harvest and they store the goods for the, the winter. And right. it's a common sense approach to life on this planet. In yes. fact, it's the city life really that has taken us away from that age-old almanac principle. It is. It is, right. yeah. It's yeah. just common sense. Yeah. Okay, we, as is traditional with our free first Sunday of every month, we do uh, Meditation to Paradise Earth. But before we do that, I want to read to you the summary of what we've covered today. So do stay with us and do stay with us for the meditation that I will begin as soon as we finish our summary. Spirit worlds are worlds within themselves. Our lives are made up of frequencies created by consciousness. The many mansions are made up of the collective consciousness of desires. All perceived realities are occurring at the same time and all are fully functioning intersecting worlds. Degrees of love are based on states of awareness and all love is cumulative. The realization of more and more love is achieved as you grow spiritually. Loving expressions manifest their own reward. Learning through adversity can cause immense soul growth through the choices we make. The soul sets up challenges in this reality to facilitate soul growth. We have a hand in everything we experience. Grace is a pure, sparkling, iridescent white light that is a free blessing from source, given just because you exist. Grace causes healing and miracles that requires no preconditions or prerequisites from source. The whole universe is based on sacred geometry, but the forms of those geometries can change from system to system. Some government buildings, churches and cathedrals are structured after sacred geometry principles. Those buildings that are aligned with nature and sacred geometry offer harmony and sweet spots of peace. Feng Shui is an art form developed as a way to work with nature 
to produce harmonic resonance. Pyramids create a cavern of zero-point energy within their interior. The Fibonacci spiral is a cyclic spiral coded to a finite span for life forms in this dimension. Our core human biology, geometry, is modelled after the Fibonacci spiral, but each individual also has other geometries made from its own patterns of consciousness. Until we overcome the unconscious death urge, we remain under the influence of the finite Fibonacci spiral. Our planet is based on the six-pointed Merkaba star that codes us to the geometry of Christ consciousness. Certain geometries can phase-lock us and limit our spiritual evolution. There are solutions to every problem in our awareness. Sacred sites are laid out in a sacred geometry pattern, but like crystals, each one can have its own environmental influences for good or ill. The angles in sacred geometry are important because we are dealing with dimensions and degrees of energy. Carnivonia is in the blue spectrum and, depending on dosage, can repair deep into the cellular structure of the human body. The rainbow body is representative of our original divine essence. We become our rainbow body once more when we have risen above our ego-based world and returned to our true organic self. More earth changes, more rocking and rolling in the earth, more precarious political upheavals and more global tension are ahead of us this year, which some people will feel in their bodies requiring more nurturing. It is common sense to keep a three-month supply of food, pure water and an off-the-grid source of heat and light in your home to remain independent of outside sources. I'm going to ask Angel Rose now to come back and to close the records. All right, thank you everyone for your attendance today and your wonderful questions. Thank you, Angel Rose, and thank you to everybody for your wonderful questions and for participating. Remember to enter your comments on worldofempowerment.com. We love you all so much. Until next week, blessings from myself, Ahanu, and from Angel Rose. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. 